Welcome to Alec Across the States. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. Today, we're going to be talking about COVID-19, policy solutions, and how they can help the civil justice and regulatory reform. Joining me to discuss this is Alex, Senior Director of both the Criminal Justice Task Force and the Civil Justice Task Force, Ronnie Lampart. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for having me, Dan. Yeah, of course. So as the number of cases of COVID-19 continues to rise, um, different responses have come from the national government and from state governments, and they all have an important role to play in the response to this crisis. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about how different responses to this crisis can help within the sphere of civil justice and regulatory reform. Um, We're going to be talking about things like reducing regulatory red tape, things like resolving potential court backlogs, limiting liability for volunteers and charitable organizations, and also ensuring individuals have access to information online. These are all terribly important things, especially when we're in the age where people are working from home and there's deep market volatility. Ronnie, can you talk to our listeners a little bit about reducing regulatory red tape? Why does that matter during COVID-19 and how can that help um, the response to COVID-19? Well, thank you, Dan. Uh, I'm happy to talk about how cutting regulatory red tape can help with the response. Uh, So look, nearly every part of our lives is somehow touched by government regulation. This includes the food we eat, cars we drive, where we work, even mattresses that we sleep on are regulated by both the federal and state government. So a lot of these regulations are quite burdensome. I'm not saying all regulations are bad, but the number of state regulations in addition to the number of federal regulations varies. So Arizona has just fewer than 64,000 state regulations, whereas New York has over 307,000. But one thing, or several things that states can do, rather, to respond to COVID-19 in the regulatory space is to reform state occupational licensing requirements. So last year, Arizona passed an act in a law, rather, that allowed individuals who are licensed in certain professions, so these professions might include plumbers, barbers, electricians, but specifically in, in response to COVID-19, this law also allowed for nurses and other healthcare professionals who were licensed in one state, so let's say they were licensed in New Mexico, to receive the same license in the state of Arizona. And additionally, that was that was enacted, that was actually passed by the legislature and signed by the governor. Some states recognizing the crisis right now and the need to respond, respond to COVID-19 have decided to enact executive or have executive orders be issued by governors. So for example, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum issued an executive order temporarily suspending state licensure requirements. And this allows individuals, particularly those in the healthcare professions, to temporarily practice in the state of North Dakota Hmm. if they are licensed in another state. And I, I will say that prior to this, North Dakota had been working on this generally and was working up to passing a law similar to what Arizona had done. Sure. I hadn't, hadn't gotten across the finish line yet. That's why the governor issued that executive order. And there are other states that have done this. 
Um, what are those states? These states include Maryland. Yeah, so these states include Maryland, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and several others. So these are these are states from blue to purple to red that have decided that this is absolutely necessary. And these uh, ideas are actually based on an ALEC model, right? That's what I think you were just about to, to mention. Absolutely. I think it's really important for our listeners to know that, that you know, ALEC is really the idea engine in the states where we bring together so many different important policy experts and state lawmakers. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, link to an awesome article that Ronnie wrote for the ALEC website talking about civil justice solutions and you know what that task force is presenting. It actually links to most of the state stories and the model policies we're going to be discussing, including this one. Um, but Ronnie, can you just briefly talk about the Interstate Mobility and Universal Recognition Occupational Licensing Act? Sure, yeah. The ALEC model, and it's, it's one that embodies a lot of the principles and quite candidly the text in the Arizona law that was passed last year, and also several of the provisions in the executive order issued by Governor Doug Burgum are also contained within that the same ALEC model. So it's been, it's served as a useful template for a lot of states and has proven particularly useful for right now, given the pandemic and medical emergency going on right now. So thinking through other reductions in red tape, um, we're talking a lot about licensing here and uh, some state action we've seen. What action or you know what information can you talk to our listeners about when it comes to reducing regulations writ large? Um, I think there could be some interesting things that maybe the private sector could step up and do if there's some regulations in red tape removed. Sure, absolutely. So right now is many of you have seen firsthand their grocery stores are experiencing a shortage of supplies. Medical pharmacies are also experiencing a shortage of supplies as well. And, and this is due to certain regulations that allow, that allow or don't allow for goods to be moved effectively and efficiently. So one federal regulation provides that commercial truck drivers be limited to 11 hours of driving during a 14-hour workday. And this goal is, is admirable. We want to reduce accidents caused by driver fatigue, especially accidents caused by driver fatigue of an 18-wheeler because sure. those can cause serious damage. But right now, due to the shortages of groceries and other necessary supplies, such as medical equipment, masks, ventilators, et cetera, after President Trump declared a national emergency, the Department of Transportation's Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration suspended the limitation on truck drivers' hours. And as I mentioned before, grocers and hospitals were reporting a shortage of supplies. And this relaxation of that restriction will make certain supplies, such as groceries and medical supplies, more readily available. And I mean... That seems like uh, a recipe that can apply to a bunch of different industries as well, right? Beyond just uh, groceries. Uh, that's something that that sort of red tape and regulatory reform would actually benefit a lot of different industries. I think it's really important and something states should certainly consider. Moving on a little bit to our second um, segment, discussing res you know how we can resolve potential court backlogs. Um, I think we talked a little bit on our Criminal Justice Solutions podcast, Ronnie, um, which we'll link to also in the show notes. 
about how many court systems have uh, shuttered their doors, um, similar to social distancing and people working from home. That same mentality has, has come to our civil justice and criminal justice system. So how can we deal with the reality that there is going to be potential court backlogs in the states? Sure. So, Dan, as you mentioned, you're absolutely right that several courts throughout the country have postponed proceedings for trial for and trials for weeks or months. So this is likely going to lead to significant backlog. And one of the ways that states could be easing this backlog is to encourage parties to a lawsuit to consider alternative dispute resolution. And the ALEC model Alternative Dispute Resolution Act actually encourages the use of arbitration or other alternatives to formal court proceedings to resolve disputes where a judge and the other parties find the approach appropriate and are comfortable with pursuing a speedier solution outside of court. This could include a mediation, arbitration, a mini trial, or an early neutral evaluation. So these parties are free to choose from a plethora of alternative dispute resolution procedures but they are not required to do so. This is a voluntary approach that would provide some relief to court backlog while safeguarding traditional litigations where the parties prefer it and it is more appropriate. So are we seeing states begin to you know, utilize this new, more efficient process? Sure. So over the last several decades, the replacement of trials with alternative dispute resolution has been rising. So arbiters don't necessarily suffer from the backlog caseloads of the civil court system and may be able to schedule proceedings at atypical times, let's say such nights and weekends where courts quite candidly aren't in session. Hmm. In addition, ADR allows the parties to avoid lengthy hearings, depositions, complicated paperwork, potentially subpoenas pursuant to normal court procedure. And also in most instances, ADR is actually cheaper than traditional litigation provided that the ADR case does not ultimately proceed to trial. And you're seeing this trend in a lot of states. The, uh, they've enacted laws encouraging ADR in some kind of capacity. And these states include Oklahoma, Texas, and Utah. And, and even the federal government two decades ago enacted its own version of the Alternative Dispute Resolution Act. So this is definitely something that's been trending over the last several decades, and this is a solution that states should look to in the event of the oncoming potential backlog. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a, a no-brainer with court systems shutting down, and clearly there's going to be an increased strain on uh, both the civil and criminal justice system we have here in this country, inputting efficiencies and new processes that can help handle the fact that those systems, criminal and civil, both have to continue, right? I mean, people need their day in court. But moving on to our last segment here, discussing liability for volunteers and charitable organizations and how different Alex solutions can limit that liability. Um, for our listeners, can you talk briefly about what liability there is for volunteers and charitable organizations and then begin discussing what sort of Alec models or Alec solutions um, you're putting forward to help limit liability? Sure. So right now, the charitable organizations are performing essential services. These, This is especially true if these charitable organizations are performing medical services. 
and rendering medical care. Even those charitable organizations that are delivering meals to the elderly right now are also performing an absolutely necessary service. So one of the ways that states can help encourage these charitable organizations from or encourage these charitable organizations to perform these functions is to limit liability of their organizations and their volunteers. So the ALEC model, Volunteer Immunity and Charitable Organization Liability Limit Act, would limit the exposure of organizations and volunteers to lawsuits arising from their charitable activities. This would encourage nonprofits to provide these important services. And this is particularly in times of a crisis, which is where we're at right now, without fear of excessive litigation. And in a moment like now where we we need, you know, we're, we're, it's a call to action right now, right? In the moment of the zeitgeist of America, it's, hey, if you think you can do something, step up and do it, right? So we need to make sure that um, charitable organizations who are the guys who most readily are, hey, I want to step up, right? That's kind of their thing. Um, We want to make sure that they feel as comfortable and as willing as possible to continue stepping up. Um, We don't want them to fear any uh, excessive litigation or, or a response like that when they're trying to be, you know, helpful, trying to be the good Samaritan person. Right. No, absolutely. And that's exactly what this model does. It helps provide liability for certain damages if the volunteer of an organization is acting in good faith, faith rather, and in the course and scope of their duties within the organization. So these organizations, as I mentioned earlier, provide do provide health care, which is critically needed right now. Mm. And there are even some states that have already enacted this law or versions of this law, uh, for, especially for volunteer health care providers. And these include Maine, South Carolina, and Texas. There are also a few other states. Mm. But this, is, this has been recognized as a good, sound solution to allow for a greater number of volunteers and volunteer organizations to function and be able to respond to a crisis. Yeah, it really sounds like something that uh, states need to consider as soon as possible, really. Um, Moving on to uh, the final topic that I'd like us to discuss before we close out. I'm sitting here in front of a computer screen at my apartment. So much of my communication at work and and even now that I'm, you know, doing so much social distancing um, here at home, so much of it is dependent on my access to information online. And I think a lot of other people are feeling that as well. Um, I think it's, you know, it's very much natural. So many different states have decided to go to virtual learning, whether it's at the university college level or whether it's through the K through 12 level. Um, Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about what the civil justice task force is recommending to ensure that individuals have access to uh, that sort of information online? Absolutely, yes. Uh, And it's funny, you're sitting at your apartment, I'm sitting at my condo in front of a computer screen and uh, my two blank television screens and wishing (laughs) that there was baseball on the two television screens. Um, But but absolutely, I'm happy to talk about that. So right now, let's face it, the atmosphere is continuously evolving. There's new information that experts are providing every day. And so the sharing of information is essential to providing individuals with the most current information. So, and and the reality is many Americans receive their news from online sources. This includes online platforms. So Mm -hmm. in fact, the study from 2018 
found that 34% of Americans prefer to receive their news online. So what states should do is protect these online platforms and services. This provides that the ALEC model resolution protecting online platforms and services provides that the government should not be heavily regulating online platforms such as Twitter and other online platforms similar to that. And that should the government attempt to censor or regulate online platforms during this time, Americans could be deprived of information that could impact thousands or millions of lives. And quite candidly, the, the tradition and the case law of the First Amendment has long protected the right of free speech and expression. Yeah. Even the potential threat of litigation and or prosecution has the potential to chill or curtail speech. Definitely. So right now, I would say more information is better than less information. And also, the reality is the internet over the last two and a half decades, potentially longer than that, has created millions of jobs in the United States, generated billions of dollars of revenue, and led to trillions of dollars in economic value. Hmm. Right now, there are a large part of, parts of the economy that are shut down. So it's really crucial that the government doesn't overregulate and effectively shut down the internet and technology sector because the technology sector has been so successful over the past two and a half decades in providing jobs and contributing overall value to the economy. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, it's extremely important to make sure we remember that um, and make sure our listeners think deeply about that, especially um, our listeners who are state and local decision makers. Um, that does bring us to the end of our segment. Thank you for tuning in to Alec Across the States, where we've been talking about civil justice solutions to COVID-19 along the lines of reducing regulatory red tape, resolving potential court backlogs, limiting liability for volunteers and charitable organizations, and of course, ensuring individuals have access to information online because free speech is so important. My guest has been Ronnie Lampart, the senior director of both the Cri Criminal Justice Task Force and also the Civil Justice Task Force. Ronnie, thank you so much for joining. And if there's anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with in conclusion, feel free. Yes, Dan, thank you very much. Absolutely. So look, this is an instance where Alec has provided solutions, uh, potential ideas for states to consider to respond to the COVID-19 crisis. Government does, in fact, have an essential role to play in unleashing the capabilities of the private sector to find these sound solutions to this crisis. And Alec and our members are committed to providing government officials and other policy stakeholders with the tools they need to make the best decisions for their constituents and the general public. This has been another episode of Alec Across the States. I'm your host, Dan Reynolds. If you are interested in being featured on Alec Across the States, please email acrossthestates at alec.org. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alex States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.